Okay, three, two, one. Welcome back to What the Fuck is Going On. My name is Rob McGreevy. I am flying solo here with you today, so if the show sucks, if the angle is weird, if anything is off, please bear with me. I have a great show. We're going to cover Trump's indictment. He is in court today. Um, there is a coup in Niger. The U.S.'s credit rating has been downgraded by one of the three major agencies, and Rudy Giuliani is in some trouble. We're going to go into that all and maybe some more today. Let's get into it. So, former President Donald Trump has been federally indicted for a third time. Quite unprecedented in the history of modern politics or democracy, really, to have a opposition candidate potentially jailed. It's certainly not the uh, shining bastion of democracy that we once were in America. So, we are going to get into this indictment a little bit. Um, we're going to play here a clip of special prosecutor Jack Smith, who Trump has publicly maligned a lot on Truth Social and elsewhere. We are going to play this clip of him announcing the charges, and then we'll get into it. Good evening. Today, an indictment was unsealed, charging Donald J. Trump with conspiring to defraud the United States, conspiring to disenfranchise voters, and conspiring and attempting to obstruct an official proceeding. The indictment was issued by a grand jury of citizens here in the District of Columbia, and it sets forth the crimes charged in detail. I encourage everyone to read it in full. The attack on our nation's capital on January 6, 2021, was an unprecedented assault on the seat of American democracy. As described in the indictment, it was fueled by lies, lies by the defendant targeted at obstructing a bedrock function of the U.S. government, the nation's process of collecting, counting, and certifying the results of the presidential election. Since the attack on our Capitol, the Department of Justice has remained committed to ensuring accountability for those criminally responsible for what happened that day. This case is brought consistent with that commitment and our investigation of other individuals continues. In this case, my office will seek a speedy trial so that our evidence can be tested in court and judged by a jury of citizens. In the meantime, I must emphasize that the indictment is only an allegation and that the defendant must be presumed innocent until proven guilty beyond a reasonable doubt in a court of law. I would like to thank the members of the Federal Bureau of Investigation who are working on this investigation with my office, as well as the many career prosecutors and law enforcement agents from around the country who have worked on previous January 6th investigations. These women and men are public servants of the very highest order, and it is a privilege to work alongside them. Thank you. Why didn't you charge any of the other co-conspirators? So, again there, that's Jack Smith announcing the charges. He's being charged with four things, uh, four counts. Conspiracy to defraud the United States is the big one, as well as conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding, obstruction of an attempt to obstruct an official proceeding, and conspiracy against rights. Um, I read this whole 45-page indictment, um, and it essentially... The four charges are really all, the evidence for them is all the same, and it um, centers around the Trump team's scheme to send fraudulent electors to seven different swing states and decertify the electors that were put in place to 
send in votes for Joe Biden. In order to understand um, the DOJ's case against Trump here, you have to understand what electors are and what our political process. A, a key point about the Electoral College, which is that technically, and every state has different laws on this, but technically, the way the Electoral College was set up by our fathers, founding fathers, um, you are not, your vote doesn't go get cast for president. Your vote is given to electors who then decide who they are choosing for president. Um, now, almost always these electors within each state vote for the person that their state's popular vote chose. In most of these states here, it's, it's Biden. Biden wins the popular vote in Michigan, in Wisconsin, in Arizona. Those state electors are then certified by the state's legislature and those electors then convene on, I believe it's December 14th is the date, that the Congress um, demands that all state, all 50 states in D.C., their electors meet in their capital, get together, and then they send Congress their votes, and Congress counts those votes. So Congress doesn't count the votes that you and I send in. The state counts those votes. Based on those votes, gives selects electors. Those electors are declared for one candidate, so... When Joe Biden wins, the Biden electors send in their votes. Um, there is something we have in America called faithless electors. It's not illegal to be a faithless elector. And in fact, I believe, and I could be wrong about this, but I'll put up a little Chiron about um, the election between uh, John Quincy Adams and President, former President Andrew Jackson way back in the day. I believe, and I could be wrong about this, but I believe President Jackson... Uh, murdered him in the popular vote, but he was such a not politician. President Jackson is is often compared to Trump as really the first populist president and just kind of uh, an overarching asshole, <laughs> basically, but also uh, extremely anti-capitalist, uh, anti, not anti-capitalist, but anti-banks, anti-central authority. And he pissed off a lot of people. So basically these electors said, yeah, no, it's it's going to be... JQA, John Quincy Adams, and Jackson lost. Um, of course, as we all know, he eventually roared back to become the president. And it is not impossible that Trump, Teflon Don, uh, rebounds pretty fully from this one. We saw his polls uh, increase both times that he was indicted previously. It's just crazy we have a president who's been a former president who's been indicted three times now and not. A single person is like, yeah, you know what? That disqualifies him. I mean, yeah, anyway, that's not the point of this. We're going to get into this indictment a little bit more, and then I will share some of my thoughts about it. But point being, electors are not uh, legally required to always send in their party's popular votes choice. It just so happens that they almost always do because I don't think we've had a faithless elector in this country Maybe since Jackson. Okay, this is from the Library of Congress. Neither the U.S. Constitution nor federal statutes address the concept of faithless electors. This issue is reserved to the states. A majority of the states and D.C. have laws in the books that require electors to pledge to cast their votes for the parties not for their party's nominees for the president and VP. And 15 states have laws that impose sanctions on electors for breaking their pledge to cast their vote for the party's nominee. So. It's not federally legal, but the states almost all have laws to basically require their electors to choose the party who the popular vote chose. Um, so, with that being said, we will start in... There's seven states that the Trump team targeted, and they're all swing states. And that's Pennsylvania, Arizona, Wisconsin, Michigan, Georgia, New Mexico, and Nevada. Uh, we're just going to focus on three. There's... Much of these schemes were enacted in every state, but um, the main ones, and I think the ones that are the most interested, interesting is, first of all, in Arizona. And we'll go to Arizona, where the indictment alleges that co-conspirator won. Oh, that's something I forgot to mention. There are six unindicted co-conspirators listed in this indictment. Um, and when we say unindicted co-conspirators, it means that their names are not revealed, Um Special Prosecutor Jack Smith has indicated that the investigation is ongoing and 
any and all of these six can be indicted at any time. And I think at least a few of them will be, including co-conspirator one who is widely believed to be and reported by New York Times, Washington Post, and ABC to be Rudy Giuliani. So the indictment alleges that co-conspirator one, Rudy Giuliani, called Arizona's House Speaker, a Republican by the name of Rusty Bowers, and falsely claimed that dead people and immigrants voted in mass. This is a theme throughout these seven um, seven swing states. It's all seven of these swing states had either their attorney general or the uh, speaker of the state house representatives or the state senate majority leader all took calls from either Trump directly or Trump surrogates saying either dead people voted here, illegal immigrants voted here. In the case of Georgia, there was a big controversy with ballot dropping, harvesting, but it's something about the Bank of America Stadium where the, I believe the Hawks play. And they were like, look what happened in Atlanta. I mean, they have like a 30-second video that was addressed. Um, I just kind of, you know, briefly I want to say that I am no... Uh, I'm not a Trump sycophant. I've never voted for him. And I'm also not a, uh, I don't have Trump derangement syndrome. I don't, you know, particularly hate this person. Um, I think Russiagate was mostly a lie. I think uh, the second impeachment with the whole Ukraine uh, quid pro quo stuff sounds a lot like what's going on with this um, Hunter Biden stuff now. That I believe um, I wanted to cover today. I'm not going to have time to go through that and his business partners um, testimonies with Congress and interviews with Tucker Carlson. I might get into that next week. I have a co-host coming in that I think will be better to bounce some of that stuff off of. So stay tuned for that. But point being, I'm not Donald Trump's like biggest fan or supporter and I'm not also his biggest critic either. Um, this indictment is a bad look for him. Right, so this is a recurring theme, calling Rudy Giuliani or Sidney Powell, who's another lawyer who's kind of famous for uh, being sued by Dominion voting machines and suing them and, and all sorts of rabbit holy goodness on that one. And, and we can get into that another time. Today, I just kind of want to focus on broadly getting the facts of this indictment out. Right, okay, so this is from Caitlin Collins, CNN's White House reporter. After 27 minutes and one not guilty plea, Donald Trump has left the courtroom and will soon leave the courthouse. He's expected to speak. He's expected to speak. Magistrate Judge Mozilla Upadaya has scheduled the next hearing in the election subversion case for August 28th at 10 a.m. Um, in Arizona, the indictment alleges that co-conspirator one, again, likely Rudy Giuliani, called the state speaker of the house a man named a republican named rusty bowers and essentially leaned on him attempting to get him to decertify the electors based on claims of unsubstantiated claims of massive amounts of dead people voting etc this is straight from the indictment the defendant and co-conspirator one falsely asserted among other things that a substantial number of non-citizens non-residents and dead people had voted fraud fraudulently in arizona the Arizona House Speaker asked co-conspirator one for evidence of the claims, which co-conspirator one did not have, but claimed he would provide. Co-conspirator one never did so. The defendant, Trump, and co-conspirator one asked the Arizona House Speaker to call the legislature into session to hold a hearing based on their claims of election fraud. The Arizona House Speaker refused, stating that doing so would require a two-thirds vote of its members, and he would not allow it without actual evidence of fraud. Then, on 12-4-20, November 4th, 2020, 10 days before Congress uh, mandates that electors meet in their various state capitals to certify their votes, to send in their votes for Congress to count, on December 4th, Bowers issued this statement. No election is perfect, and if there were evidence of illegal votes or an improper count, then Arizona law provides a process to contest the election, a lawsuit under state law. But the law does not authorize the legislature to reverse the results of an election. As a conservative Republican, I don't like the results of the presidential election. I voted for President Trump and worked hard to reelect him. But I cannot and will not entertain a suggestion 
that we violate current law to change the outcome of a certified election. I and my fellow legislators swore an oath to support the U.S. Constitution and the Constitution and laws of the state of Arizona. It would violate that oath, the basic principles of Republican government, and the rule of law if we attempted to nullify the people's vote based on unsupported theories of fraud. Under the laws that we wrote and voted upon, Arizona voters choose who wins, and our system requires that their choice be respected. I have to imagine that this man, what's his name, Rusty Buckets, Rusty Bowers, uh, a Republican, a pretty staunch one apparently, conservative Republican, uh, would, would have loved to overturn the results of the election if he had any evidence to do so. Um, then this is a pattern, this whole Giuliani calls a guy and leans on him and says, hey man, we saw some dead voters in your rolls, you gotta, you gotta call your legislature into session. They basically did this in seven states, and it wasn't always Giuliani. It was one of the other six co-conspirators. Sometimes it was Sidney Powell. Um, sometimes it was Trump's personal attorney, John Eastman, who was widely believed and reported to be co-conspirator too. Um, and all of this sort of centers around a this is the indictment alleges centers around a scheme uh, that is the brainchild of co-conspirator five who has been identified by all these news outlets as well as Ken Cheesebro, who essentially in Wisconsin decided, okay, in Wisconsin, we are going to challenge. Wisconsin was a very small margin. I think it was the smallest margin of victory for Biden of any state he won in the 10,000 range. Uh, and they legally, the Trump team, legal, within their legal right to do so, uh, demanded a recount. Recount actually found that Biden won by more than what the original vote um, purported. But while that process was happening, Cheeseboro essentially helped the Trump team put together a group of potential electors to send to the state capitol in Wisconsin if the vote was overturned, if Trump did win the recount, and then they could send their electors. And essentially, he got the idea, and the Trump team quickly latched on and morphed this wisconsin plan into a seven state let's send electors everywhere get our friends in power to decertify the current electors and we will use one our power the bully pulpit of trump to say hey all my republican friends help me and two in his position as vice president to also instead of counting the actual legitimate electors they wanted him to count the fake electors because as Vice President. Vice President acts as Senate President pro tempore, uh, among other things, meaning that they serve as the tie-breaking vote in the Senate, but also means that they preside over the counting of these votes. They wanted Pence to count the votes of their guys, essentially. And this plan to do, do so in these seven swing states that Trump all lost resulted in, uh, here for example... Here's a here's a statement from a lawyer. Um, this lawyer is an Arizona lawyer that the Trump team reached out to to kickstart the process of suing it and putting together this fake elector group in Arizona. And this is his he um, characterized a uh, talk he had with Cheeseboro to the DOJ as follows. He said, "I just talked to him, who's Cheeseboro." And his idea is all of us, meaning all the seven states, quote, have our electors send in their votes, even though the votes aren't legal under federal law because they're not signed by the governor, so that members of Congress can fight about whether they should be counted on January 6th. They could potentially argue that they're not bound by federal law because they're Congress and make the law, etc. Kind of wild and creative. I'm happy to discuss. My comment to him was, I guess there's no harm in it, legally at least i.e. we would be just sending in quote-unquote fake electoral votes to Pence so that quote someone in Congress can make an objection when they start counting votes and start arguing that the fake vote should be counted. That's significant to me, one, because it kind of outlines their playbook, but two, it also shows that at least some of the people involved didn't think they were breaking the law, didn't knowingly violate any uh, federal statutes, which I think is important because, and this is from the first paragraph of the indictment, or the third paragraph of the indictment, uh, Smith 
Jack Smith, if he did write the indictment, the grand jury found Trump, you know, indicted Trump directly, but the DOJ puts this language together and Smith said, the defendant had a right, like every American, to speak publicly about the election and even to claim falsely that there had been outcome determinative fraud during the election and that he had won. Interesting. He was also entitled to formally challenge the results of the election through lawful and appropriate means, such as by seeking recounts or audits of the popular vote in states or filing lawsuits challenging ballots and procedures. He did all of that, by the way, filed lawsuits in all seven of these states. And uh, initially, the picture this indictment paints is that it started out as an actual legitimate scheme to uh, have electors in place in case they're completely legal challenge for a recount in Wisconsin came through. Very small margin of, of victory for Biden there. So it was perfectly legitimate to think, okay, well, let's get these electors ready just in case we win. Um, and that very quickly went from, no, 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 let's get electors ready in every state that we lost and steamroll our way over our, you know, potential Republican allies and, and have them. Here's an, another uh, state with re Republicans. We saw, I keep forgetting this guy's name, Rusty Bowers. I want to call him Rusty Buckets. For some reason. Um, that's a Republican who rebuked him. Republicans in Michigan and Georgia as well. In Michigan, they tried to get... Let's go to Michigan here for a second. In Michigan on November 20th, which was three days before Governor Gretchen Whitmer signed a certificate of ascertainment notifying the federal government that, based on the popular vote, Biden's electors were to represent Michigan's voters. So Whitmer, Whitmer sent in that certificate... On November 23rd, three days before that, on the 20th, Trump hosted Michigan's House of Representatives uh, speaker and the Senate Majority Leader of the Michigan Senate in the Oval Office. And again, basically leaned on them and said, we lost because of fraud. You need to <laughs> get the legislature together. We need to recertify and, and get new electors. Um, and they basically told him that he lost not because of fraud but, quote, because the defendant had under, underperformed a certain voter population in the state. I don't know about the um, Senate Majority Leader. I, I just haven't had enough time to research everything today and reading this indictment and all the other stuff. But I know the House Speaker is a Republican. So another Republican released a statement. This is the Speaker of Michigan's House in November who said, We've diligently examined these reports of fraud to the best of our ability. I fought hard for President Trump. Nobody wanted him to win more than me. I think he's done an incredible job. But I love our republic too. I can't fathom risking our norms, traditions, and institutions to pass a resolution retroactively changing the electors for Trump simply because some think there may have been enough widespread fraud to give him the win. That's unprecedented for good reason. And that's why there is not enough support in the House to cast a new slate of electors. I fear we'd lose our country forever. This truly would bring mutually assured destruction for every future election in regards to the Electoral College. And I can't stand for that. I won't. Like, Jesus. And then in Georgia, Trump's substantiated claims of ballot dumping prompted this tweet from the Georgia Secretary of State's chief operating officer, who's a Republican named Gabriel Sterling. And I'll throw the tweet up. It says, The 90-second video of election workers at State Farm Arena purporting to show fraud was watched in its entirety, hours, by the Georgia Secretary of State investigators. Shows normal ballot processing. Here is the fact checked on it. When presented with this evidence by the Georgia Secretary of State, another Republican named Brad Raffensperger, Trump said, I don't care about a link. I don't need it. I have a much, Brad, I have a much better link. It's, I just, it's funny, you just like, you could picture him the way he says it. Brad? Um... So yeah, basically, all these Republicans, who I'm sure would love to not be living in Biden's America, said, you're not even giving us anything to go on here. We have nothing. We can't help you, bro. And he still tried to shoehorn his fake electors in. I don't know if I said it earlier because I had to cut, but you know, a lot of these fake electors were told that what they were doing was legal um, and that they were only going to be used if Pence... Uh, nullified the other electors, which was bullshit from the beginning, because Pence in this indictment shows was never in on it. Um, and that's going to be a big part of whether or not Trump goes to jail, which would be fucking nuts to have a sitting president. Well, I would just like to say again, like, I'm not a uh, Trump guy, never voted for him. I don't 
think he's gotten the fairest shake in the media or in the government, but also he brings a lot of his bullshit on himself. I don't think it's a good idea in America for our democracy to prosecute the number one opponent opposition of the current sitting regime. I just think it's a bad look. Makes us look like a banana republic. Just beat him. Beat him fair and square. And then you can, it really, if, if you need to then, no one is above the law. My ass, by the way, no one's above the law. But okay, if that's really, you know, how we're playing it, do it after. Win the election and then prosecute him. Because this, uh, this is the type of stuff that is just going to make Americans further lose faith in their institutions, which is, you know, broadly uh, brings smiles to our country's enemies' faces. That, by the way, was sowing discord and um, inspiring a lack of faith in, in American institutions by their people was the explicit goal of Vladimir Putin's uh, interference in the 2016 elections, which Democrats have broadly painted as an effort to get Donald Trump into the White House. But it really wasn't. Putin's objective was really just to chaos. Um and he succeeded for sure. We took the bait, hook, line, and sinker. Um, I just real quick, I want to play this last shot, and then we'll get off this topic. Um, again, Trump. I did. I don't know if I read that tweet from Caitlin Collins earlier, but Trump pled not guilty, and he will be back in court on August twenty eighth. Um, but here's a shot from Rusty Buckets. I'm just gonna call him Rusty Buckets, the former Arizona State. Speaker of the House, who ran for state Senate and lost to a Trump candidate. That was the price he paid for his integrity. Um, and this is him testifying to that House Select Subcommittee on January 6th. Let's take a listen. Thank you very much. It is painful to have friends who have been such a help to me turn on me with such rancor. I may, in the eyes of men, not hold correct opinions or act according to their vision or convictions, but I do not take this current situation in a light manner, a fearful manner, or a vengeful manner. I do not want to be a winner by cheating. I will not play with laws I swore allegiance to. with any contrived desire towards deflection of my deep foundational desire to follow God's will as I believe he led my conscience to embrace. How else will I ever approach him in the wilderness of life knowing that I ask this guidance only to show myself a coward in defending the course he let me take, he led me to take. Thank That's you, Mr. Speaker. Those are powerful words. I understand that taking the courageous positions that you did following the 2020 election in defense of the rule of law and protecting the voters of Arizona resulted in you and your family being subjected to protests and terrible threats. Can you tell us how this impacted you and your family? Well, as others in the videos have mentioned, we received, um, my secretaries would say, in excess of 20,000 emails and tens of thousands of voicemails and texts, which saturated our offices and we were unable to work, or at least communicate. But at home, um, up till even recently, uh, it is the new pattern or a pattern in our lives to worry what will happen on Saturdays because we have various groups come by and they have had um, video panel trucks with videos of me proclaiming me to be a pedophile and a pervert and a corrupt and politician and blaring uh, loudspeakers in my neighborhood and 
leaving literature both on my property, but arguing and threatening with neighbors and with myself. Um, I, I don't know if I should name groups, but there was a, one gentleman that had the three bars on his chest, and he had a pistol and was threatening my neighbor, not with the pistol, but just vocally. When I saw the gun, I knew I had to get close. And at the same time, on some of these, we had a daughter who was gravely ill, who was upset by what was happening outside? That's that we, uh, you know, we we are definitely not the shining example of democracy. Beacon on a hill, city on a hill. We used to be, um, not in terms of democracy. Anyway, you know, we're talking about peaceful transfer of power here, and we're gonna cover the the coup in Niger in a minute here. Before, uh, right after we get to the the ratings, the U.S.'s credit rating. Um, but we are, you know. We are an empire in decline, I think, is what this shows us. That, regardless of what you think of Trump, he is a, he's probably he's the first and maybe only former president to ever be prosecuted. Not once, not twice, three times. So, we'll see where that goes. We're gonna keep an eye on it. We're gonna keep the coverage up. Um, Trump reacted pretty strongly on Truth Social. We'll put that up here. Mike Pence also basically said like this is what happens this is what happens when you fuck with democracy um fair enough mike pence polling at three percent i think maybe even less let's see what our rcp is looking at uh yeah oh pence is polling at 4.4 nationally in the gop good for him trump is polling at 53.9 absolutely crushing everybody i don't think there's anything anyone can do to get him his supporters to you know like you said he could go into fifth avenue and shoot someone I don't know if this is a good strategy for Democrats, for the DOJ. We'll see what happens, though. So, Fitch, one of the three major ratings agencies in the financial sector in the United States economy, downgraded America's Treasury rating, credit rating, from AAA to AA+, citing, among other things... An expected fiscal deterioration over the next three years, as well as growing government death, debt, and the erosion of governance, which has manifested repeated debt limit standoffs. Their not-so-sunny outlook for the next quarter and quarter one in 2024 is a mild recession. Um, a few key points. They note that they expect the Fed to increase limits by one more basis point raise um interest rates by one more quarter of a percent to 5.75 by the end of the year they do predict that to be the final rate hike for now at least essentially what's happening here to quote my favorite fictional economist sloan sabbath if you fuck with the full faith and credit of the u.s treasury you're fired this is what happens when you use the uh United States of America's creditworthiness as a political football. We've seen these repeated debt standoffs, though the Fitch report said the recent agreement to uh, raise the debt ceiling until 2025 was notwithstanding. I, I find that very hard to believe that it didn't play a factor. And our politicians are way more concerned with uh, trying to get something out of each other than they are actually taking care of the economy and, and this is a bad uh this is bad timing for biden who's trying to promote his bidenomics you know look the economy is doing better than ever who cares that 70 percent of people can't afford a 500 dollars emergency we're fucking killing it this is not uh too supportive of that narrative and janet yellen the treasury secretary was none too happy we'll play a clip here of what she had to say i strongly disagree with fitch's decision and I believe it is entirely unwarranted. Its flawed assessment is based on outdated data and fails to reflect improvements across a range of indicators, including those related to governance. 
that we've seen over the past two and a half years. Despite the gridlock, we've seen both parties come together to pass legislation to resolve the debt limit as well as to make historic investments in our infrastructure and American competitiveness. Fiscal, prior, fiscal responsibility is a priority for President Biden and me. Earlier this year, the President signed debt limit legislation that included over a trillion dollars in deficit reduction. His budget would also improve the fiscal outlook by reducing the deficit by $2.6 trillion over the next 10 years. And so, yeah, that's it, Fitch. Uh, S&P and Moody's have not. Those are the other two major um, ratings agencies, or whores, as we like to call them. No, I'm kidding. That's that's Michael Lewis in uh, The Big Short. That's not me, but I basically don't know anything about the economy besides of what I read in The Big Short. And uh, what's the other one? Liar's Poker. That's a good one. Um, actually, I've read a lot of books on the economy, but... I still don't know anything. Um, I do find it interesting that Moody's, Standard & Poor's, and Fitch have no problem rating absolute dog shit CDOs, fucking under 500 FICO scores, people literally having ninja loans, no income, no job, no assets, getting loans, Throwing those loans into a pool of, of collateralized debt, the ratings agencies say, yeah, fucking AAA, sell that shit all you want. Goldman, go buy that, you know, sell it, city. Like, we will rate your products as high as you want them. But then once interest rates go up and Joe Schmo needs to fucking pay down his loan, well, you know, now you're AA+. Plus. Sorry, guys. Ride's over. Um, I read this book by Chris Hedges called America, the Farewell Tour. Basically outlines the degree to which the United States has become a kleptocracy with all our leaders pilfering our coffers and, and basically uh, I don't think anyone in their right mind could say any of the people that have governed us for the past 25 plus years have ever had our best interests in mind but still it, it doesn't feel great to see that your country which is the richest most powerful empire in the history of our species maybe even in the history of intelligent life in the universe. And this is where we're at. Double A plus. Can't afford nobody can afford five hundred dollar emergencies. Groceries are up nine hundred percent since two thousand, like might be ninety eight percent. That might have been wildly uh malpractice journalistically. I'm sorry folks, I'm tired. It is late and I've had to restart this podcast three times. But that's it. That's it on Fitch. Just something you should be aware of. U.S. credit rating now, double A plus. Um, we have two stories left. I'm probably only going to get into the last one though, and I'll save uh, I'll save this little bonus story for for next week at the top. Niger, a West African country, the biggest country in West Africa, and like maybe second or third largest country in Africa. Period. Um, has just undergone a military coup. Let's talk about that. So, Niger. On Wednesday, their president, Mohamed Bazoum, was shut in his palace by his guards, and by Friday, the country's constitution was suspended and all institutions were dissolved. In the capital, military officers declared General Omar Tichiani as new head of state. I really, really hope I'm saying that right. Tichiani. T-C-H-I-N-I-E. Oh, I don't have sound right now. We're just going to have to hope that Ticciani is how you say it. Um, but he's affectionately known by his compatriots as General Omar, so that is what we'll call him. General Omar um, basically said that President Bazoum was, not, was failing them on the economy and was failing the country's ongoing war against violent uh, Islamist extremism, which kind of plagues the reason the region. Um, groups like Boko Haram and and even ISIS are very active in what we call the Sahel, which is I don't think the camera can see it here, but the Sahel is the the desert, the region of West Africa. It covers Niger, Mali, northern Nigeria, Burkina Faso, northern Benin. Um, 
so basically what's happened here, and, and the reason I think this story is relevant to, well, it's relevant for a lot of reasons. One, because Niger is really the only Western-friendly country in Western Africa, and a lot of those countries are now signing treaties with Russia, of all countries, um, including Mali, Burkina Faso, and what's the other one? Guinea, I believe. Guinea has also pledged support for the new regime. Um, there is some hope still. President Bazoum has not been killed. He has not, as far as we know, he has not conceded either. His Twitter account has been inactive since, let's see, what did he tweet last? He said something like, you know, our our progress will not be halted, blah, 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 blah. Mohamed Bazoum. But yeah, so uh, the Sahel is mildly plagued by Islamist extremism. Um, but Africa in general, and, and more overarchingly, has always been plagued by Western colonialism. I think that's something that's pretty accepted fact today. And, and this coup has a lot of its roots in uh, a response to French occupation of this country. France, of course, uh, occupied West Africa as and operated it as a vessel state, pilfering it for its resources as a colonial power. And the military junta essentially still uh, accusing France of doing so, demanding that all the French military leave the country. I believe there are 1,000 to 1,500 um, French boots still on the ground, um, invited by the governor of Niger to... Um, help combat the Islamist extremism groups. Um, let's see. Mohammed Bazoum, July 26th, last tweet. He said, and in French, by the way, Niger, they speak French because that's how deeply embedded the the colonial past is. It's, it's irreparably a part of what the modern day state has become. Mohamed Bazoum said, the hard-won achievements will be safeguarded. All Nigerians who love democracy and freedom will see to it. And on that, the majority of the world's countries have come out and said, you know, this, we need democracy. We can't, you know, uh, here's a, we're going to play a clip here from U.S. Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken. So the U.S. is obviously demanding um, that this coup be reversed. Even, uh, you know, leaders like Viktor Orban in Hungary, who's sort of more authoritarian friendly, um, you know, the global order has for the most part said this, we can't do this. Um, France, the U.S. have sanctioned the country in response to Niger now, at least tentatively ran by this military junta, um, decided to stop exporting uranium to France, which is a somewhat significant portion of their nuclear capability comes from the uranium they import from West Africa. So that's somewhat significant. Um, and ECOWAS. I believe that stands for the economic, the economic coalition of West African states. I might be wrong about that, um, but ECOWAS, economic community of West African states. Um, they are mulling action. They're mulling in military intervention. They have demanded that um, President Bazoum be restored. That the junta uh, dissipate from the capital. Um, and Senegal has said it will send troops to ECOWAS. So is Nigeria, Cote d'Ivoire, and Benin. Um, and for its part, Mali, Burkina Faso, and Guinea have all backed the junta and Niger. I believe all three of those countries have seen a number of their own military juntas in the past three years. So that's where we're at in Niger. The uh, ECOWAS has given... Um, General Omar a Sunday deadline and so today's Thursday so we will see uh, General Omar claimed to be trying to save the country from both jihadists and economic troubles that the president wasn't dealing with he complained that the president's campaign against jihadists linked to Al-Qaeda and ISIS was a failure and he criticized Bazoum's recent decision to release certain jihadists he also said that um Bazoum was not cooperating with Burkina Faso and Mali's military governments. Um, the Economist Africa reporter, I forget his name, but he said that uh, that is probably bullshit from his uh, somewhat expert opinion. He said that General Omar was reportedly in line to be fired and that this 
uh, grab for power was a response to that. Um, what else? Just a few quick hitters here. Before I get out of here and send you folks on your way, um, Mali, in Mali, soldiers seized power from civilians in 2020. And in Burkina Faso, they've experienced two military coups, one in January and one in September. Both times, the military governments pushed French forces out of the region. That looks like a trend now. Um, Mali, actually, in place of the French soldiers who were assisting them in fighting Al-Qaeda and ISIS and the like, invited in the Wagner Group. Um, very often in the news recently for the leader, Evgeny Prigozhin's uh potential attempted coup against Putin there's some there's a lot of weirdness with that because I can't imagine somebody trying to overthrow Putin and then him just going oh we're good buddy get back out there which is exactly what it looks like is happening with Prigozhin who's now back on the scene both in Belarus and Russia and is rumored to be going now back to Africa um so in the turn in in the grand scheme of geopolitical where the pieces are falling We'll see Sunday if uh, if Niger remains a Western-backed ally or they fall into Russia slash China's influence. Because those kind of seem to be the only directions to go as a country these days. Either you give the West what they want or you run into China and Russia's open arms. That's that. I'm not going to cover this uh, story from Rudy Giuliani where he said, tits, tits, give me those tits. I want to see your tits. Maybe I'll cover it. Fuck it. How much time I got? I have like five minutes for that. Yeah, we'll cover that since we talked about Rudy. Anyway, Rudy Giuliani was caught on audio. This is from the Daily Beast, who I actually don't find that reliable. So let's go to someone else. Oh my God, these are all fucking rags. Business Insider. Ugh. No. All right, I'm going to go with Rolling Stone because it's where I first saw the article and I used to like them. I don't anymore. They have new ownership, which sucks. But, <laughs> so Rudy Giuliani is being uh, sued by his former staffer, a woman named Noelle Dunphy, who's accusing him of sexual harassment. As part of the suit, she has submitted to the court a number of audio transcripts of Giuliani saying exactly the kind of things he denied saying, <laughs> including, quote, Jewish men have small cocks because they can't use them after they get married, whereas the Italians use them all their lives so they get bigger. That does sound like something Giuliani would say. But the funniest thing by far, besides calling Matt Damon a fag, is this. <laughs> He said to Miss Dumphy, and also, by the way, she's accusing him of sexual harassment, which is fine. We're not, we're not victim blamers here, but this does sound like there was some sort of consensuality at some point. Maybe not. I haven't, I haven't read the whole case, but he says to her, come here, big tits. Come here, big tits. Your tits belong to me. Give them to me. I want to claim my tits. I want to claim my tits. I want to claim my tits. These are my tits. Miss Dunphy, oh yeah. Mr. Giuliani, these breasts belong to me. Nobody else can get near these, okay? I don't care if they're flirting or they give you business cards. They're mine. You got it? Miss Dunphy, yes. Mr. Giuliani, understand? I'm very fucking possessive. I've gone easy on you. Jesus Christ. Miss Dunphy, I don't know. Mr. Giuliani, I've been easy on you. I mean, no doubt. He's a creep. And also, I hope that you had to listen to that in the car with your parents. I sincerely hope that that's where this information came upon you. I want to claim my tits. I want to claim my tits. I want to claim my tits. Three times he said it. These are my tits. I don't know. I thought that was funny. Maybe you guys don't. I'm going to leave you all with that. Um, a lot a lot going on. Oh, Sunday. Sunday, I will be in New York covering a an anti-war rally. That is um, supposed to have a few interesting speakers. 
We will see. Um, a couple former congressmen, apparently. So that's what we're doing Sunday. Um, please follow us on all channels. Um, we are on YouTube at Next Gen Forward. That is Next Gen Forward, F O R W A R D. We are on Instagram at, and Twitter at Next Gen Forward with the number four. That's at Next Gen Four W A R D. Um, and what else? Twitter, Instagram. We don't have threads because they lost. 50% of the user base in one week. That was amazing. Um, Twitter, YouTube. I'm tired, man. Instagram. I had something, though. I had something important to say. <laughs> well, we'll leave it at that. Thank you guys for watching. Please like, rate, subscribe, follow, send to your friends. Check out our blog. That's what I wanted to say. Check out my news blog, nextgenforward.com. That's N-E-X-T. G-E-N-F-O-R-W-A-R-D.com. Um, we try to cover things that the mainstream corporate press does not, like workers' rights, the environment, anti-war, war in general, um, corporations. We got it all there, so please check us out. Um, I'm wearing my Josh Jacobs jersey today in support of the workers' rights movement, despite the fact that they are literal millionaires asking for more money. Um, I do think it's important to bring the conversation of collective bargaining and um, sort of the growing movement of, we saw Amazon workers unionize under Christian Smalls historically. We just saw a historic agreement between UPS and its um, Teamsters Union to pay those guys really, really good wages, which is, you know, a, a huge anomaly in America, so... Again, workers' rights, that's one thing we, we really like to uh, hone in on on this show, and, and we will continue to do so. Um, thank you guys for listening. We will see you next week.